Welcome back to another episode of Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. Today, we are joined once again by the show's producer, Joe Armstrong. Joe, thank you for being back. Hello, Jessica. Nice to hear from you. How are you? I'm good. We have a big topic to tackle today. We are recording this from the middle of the Republican National Convention. We're not actually physically in the middle of it, but we're two nights in, two more nights to go. And we want to talk about something that's really blown up, which is this issue of, is the Trump administration violating the Hatch Act largely through what's happening at the convention? And this is a broader theme that we've seen for the Trump administration, which is blurring the line between public service, between government service, and politics, and partisan politics specifically. So why is this an issue with the Hatch Act? You know, we hear corruption being endemic and woven into the political process of other countries. But uh, with the Hatch Act, some of our you know early lawmakers thought of a way to try to address that issue. Why is this a thing? Why have the Hatch Act? Exactly. Why is this a thing? So the Hatch Act is this law that basically says to the public, we want you to know that your government officials, your civil servants are working for you, that you are paying them, that they're using your resources, meaning we pay for the government buildings, we pay the salaries of government employees. And when they're doing that, they should not be engaged in political activities. So for instance, if you are the White House chief of staff, you should not be during official time giving a campaign speech. If you are, let's say, the Secretary of State, while you're in the middle of an official duty, you should not be filming a campaign advertisement. The idea, again, is to protect the public, to say to the public, the government works for you, you're paying them, and you can have some solace in the idea that at least during official time, when they are using official facilities, when they are, for instance, using an official car, that they are serving you, the public, they're not serving political and partisan ends. And that's what this is all about. Now, the Trump administration is not the first or only administration to kind of blur this line. But tell me specifically in terms of the RNC, the Republican National Convention, which is happening this week, why has this come up this week and how is it tied to the convention? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. The Trump administration is not the first administration to have Hatch Act questions, but they are the first to have this many Hatch Act questions and to this extent. So what we're talking about is basically three things. One is the Republican National Convention as a whole is being largely filmed at the White House, which is obviously an official government facility. There are some kind of small exceptions to that. But even if you look at the convention videos from last night, um, these are, again, basically political ads, but they're political ads that look like a tour of the White House building. And that, again, is this blurring of the line between official duties and partisan political activities. What are we talking about specifically? President Trump accepting the nomination from potentially the Oval Office? What else are we talking about? So one is kind of RNC as a whole using the White House as the staging grounds for a 
campaign advertisement, meaning the convention. Another thing we're talking about is Secretary of State Pompeo on official business in Jerusalem, making his convention speech from Jerusalem, again, while he's engaged in official duties as Secretary of State. And what else are we talking about? Because that's not enough. Acting Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, performing an official duty, which is a naturalization ceremony, in his official capacity, using his official title and power, next to the presidential seal and by a military band, and swearing in, again, swearing in people for a naturalization ceremony, and doing that in what's later used in a video for the RNC, which is, again, essentially a campaign ad. Right. Now, they tried kind of an end run around this because, you know, one question that comes to mind or one point that comes to mind is what would you say to people who said that, okay, well, we're during a pandemic, they can't do a convention in a traditional sense in a big hall, you know, there was some... There were some feathers ruffled about having it take place in Florida, and then they were going to move it to another state, which was going to be more receptive to doing the RNC in a matter that the party wanted to do it. So what would you say to the people that would just simply say, well, they can't do it the normal way. It's safer to have the president do it in the White House, so we should just do it that way. Yeah, these are extraordinary circumstances. We are in the middle of a pandemic. We can't have a quote-unquote typical convention and have it safely. But if you notice, Democrats had a convention last week, and there was social distancing. Many more people wore masks than, for instance, last night, what you saw during Melania Trump's speech when you panned about 75 people who are seated fairly closely together without masks. It doesn't have to be done on White House grounds in order for the convention to be safely put on. And again, even if we take the location out of it. We're still looking at the acting director of the Department of Homeland Security in an official duty, a naturalization ceremony that's basically being used later on as a campaign advertisement. We're still looking at the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, engaged in official duty when he's in Jerusalem again, basically making a campaign advertisement, which is his convention speech. So the location alone isn't an excuse. In addition, this is part of a larger theme by the Trump administration. There have been about 12 very serious Hatch Act questions throughout this administration. Think about Kellyanne Conaway, who was appearing on uh, cable television in her official capacity basically endorsing Senate candidates, or at least one Senate candidate. Also questions about um, the White House social media director tweeting criticism of a member of Congress. Uh, UN Ambassador Nikki Haley using her Twitter account to support members of Congress. So this is part of a larger theme. And reporting indicates that it's also part of a theme of members of the Trump administration basically saying, good luck to you. I... I violated the Hatch Act or I violated the spirit of the Hatch Act and we are bucking norms and good luck trying to come after me because I know people don't really vote on this. Yeah, so where do we go from here, right? It seems that this is, and this this goes back before Trump was at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue sitting behind the Resolute desk. This seems to be a policy he engaged in in his business dealings as well. 
in New York and beyond where he would have a project and then he would violate or either implicitly or tacitly or partially violate some law and then you know they'd launch a lawsuit or multiple lawsuits because he can afford to do that and bog things down in a court which would then allow him to proceed which with whatever policy he had set forth so like where do we go from here i mean does this gut the hatch act is the hatch act irrelevant is 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 there any recourse that the department of justice can do but it's trump's department of justice right am i thinking about this correctly that's exactly right and you've hit the nail on the head of a bigger question which is one and what's the point of having a federal law on the books if it's violated and then not enforced? So it should be, as a matter of first instance, the Office of Special Counsel who looks at these questions and says there's a violation. The Office of Special Counsel actually said, we think you should remove Kellyanne Conway uh, a few years ago. But of course, the White House does nothing. So this is not a self-executing law. What we're learning is that we have a lot of laws on the books, including, in some ways, the Constitution, where we basically assume people aren't going to flagrantly violate them. And so the question after the Trump administration, whether it ends in a few months or four and a half years, is whether or not these are aberrations or whether or not we need systemic changes because the next president now may say, well, we can violate the Hatch Act too. So there are things you can do like strengthen the enforcement mechanism, make sure that the Department of Justice, that career members of the Department of Justice are you know, having to look at these violations more seriously. But again, with norm breaking, what we're confronting is this idea that There is really no, at this point, this is not a self-executing document. So we've also seen other uh, federal ethics laws that you and I have talked about being violated, the Hatch Act being violated, the special counsel saying, this looks like a violation, don't do this, or here's what you should do to remedy it, you should remove somebody, and really nothing happening, which is all a long way of saying, um, one thing to do is to strengthen enforcement. Another thing to do is really for citizens to very actively be on alert to whether or not this norm-breaking behavior is becomes part of a trend um, for the next person who's in the Oval Office. Right. So what would happen hypothetically if, having violated tenets of the Hatch Act, what would the DOJ do now in the aftermath of those violations, if in a, in a perfect or in a, or in a more perfect world, let's say? Yeah. So I. Th- I think what you mean is basically if we gave the Department of Justice, if we somehow change the mechanisms and we give the Department of Justice more power to enforce, what would happen? I mean, what would happen is that violations of the Hatch Act would be serious enough to act as a deterrent. So we used to understand that having the kind of political pressure behind the Office of Special Counsel saying there's a Hatch Act violation would be enough to either deter the behavior or to stop the behavior that a president of the United States would say the Special Counsel's Office is saying we should remove this person and therefore we should remove this person. You know, that's that's no longer the case. So as you said, I think one of the solutions would be looking at giving more teeth to the Hatch Act, and potentially other similar federal laws. 
Yeah, methinks it's going to be a very interesting ride for the remainder of this election season. My suspicion is this won't be the first line that is blurred or crossed or blatantly ignored as we roll towards early November. Uh, we are indeed rolling towards early November, and it's hard for people, even people who you know live and breathe politics, not to feel just completely bogged down and numb to this. And I do understand that even if you care deeply about the rule of law, even if you care deeply about the Hatch Act, which is not an act, it's, you know, it's an old 1939 law, it's not an act we think about a lot, it's just hard to feel like you can keep up with the onslaught of news and legal questions. And so we really thank people for tuning in, for thinking through these topics with us. I, I know I speak for both of us when I say it really is an honor to be able to dive into these questions uh, a little bit more deeply and to have the listeners with us. Yeah, it's such, such an important thing to participate in your democracy, be an educated consumer of both news and your political system. So pay attention, everybody, and make sure you get out there and vote, register. Uh, it's coming on faster than you think it is, this election. And we, in fact, have a past, very quick, about 11-minute episode, what to do to make sure that your vote counts, everything from make sure that you've registered to get that ballot in as early as possible. Don't wait and hope that the Postal Service will get the ballot back on time. And so with that, Joe Armstrong, what a pleasure to speak with you again about this. We want to, again, thank all of our listeners for tuning in for these episodes. You can find Joe Armstrong on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at In-Depth Day. He has his own podcast, Independence Day. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, the podcast on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. We thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>